welcome to Publishing by the Numbers. It is the beginning of June. You have already made it through the first five months of the year. Go you. Yay. Congrats. Congrats. Isn't it lovely? And at least here in the U.S., it is now the officially summertime. Most of us have our kids home unless you're doing it around school. And then that's its own thing. But I now have a child with me 24 by 7. <laughs> there are pros and cons to this fact. But that's okay. <laughs> Um, I am Jana Brown, and I'm here today with one of my lovely co-hosts. Hi, DJ. Hello. Hi, guys. Virginia is out and about taking over the world after her own particular idiom, and we will see her again in a few episodes. I'm sure we'll get an update of all of the amazing, fascinating things that she's doing. Yeah, super um, excited. But she's out and about. We are on episode 34, and this month we are going to talk about fantasy. As we have said before, one month is not enough time to talk about any of the genres. This is just our high-level introduction, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the sub-niches and that kind of thing over the month, and then we'll take a break, but we will be back. So if we don't talk about your very favorite part of it, have no fear, we will return. Um, CJ and I both write in fantasy. Uh, CJ writes YA fantasy. Um, I write not YA fantasy, adult fantasy. When you say it that way, it sounds so... <laughs> not so YA fantasy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's adult fantasy. Ooh, la, la. Uh, no, it's not that kind of adult fantasy. That that would be your other pen name. Um, <laughs> but but right. yes, the, the other kind of fantasy. So that means that, you know, we better get into this whole, what is fantasy? What What is it as a genre? Any so ideas, CJ? Fantasy is... Um, for me, it's all about the mystical and the magical. Um, it's about, you know, other worlds and other places. For me, it was the the beginnings of, well, it, it started with Lord of the Rings, which may be very common for most people. But for me, I just remember, you know, my father uh, reading that out loud to me. There was a lot I did not understand, obviously, as a young, young kid, because boy, uh, boy, but it was just, but it was fun for me. You know, the Hobbit was wonderful. I remember reading that. Um, there was a lot of description, take it or leave it, but you know, it was, it was great for me. So that was my introduction. And then, you know, I went into the, the, the Shannara Chronicles and, um, the wheel of time and just the amount of time I spent reading fantasy books. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and not doing chores. Oh, I was very adept at that. But it's all of these wonderful new worlds and all of this, um, you know, it's it's very different. And it's very different from science fiction in that respect, because uh, it's not necessarily in space, you know, I guess it could be if you really want to get crazy with the niches and, and crossing over and stuff. But, but it's just this beautiful idea of, of Earth, uh, different, reimagined, or even different realms reimagined, you know? So what about you, Jana? I, I agree with the definition when I was in. Um, so I took a creative writing class back in college, uh, taught by Doc Smith, who was amazeballs. And he says, both science fiction and fantasy are genres of exploration. With science fiction, it's exploration through machines and technology. And with fantasy, it's exploration through trees and magic. <laughs> I love that, trees and magic. That works. I love it. Yeah, and, and like you say, there's a lot of places where they kind of rub up against each other or they rub up against other genres. But I always kind of liked that definition, that, that it, it's all about exploration. It's about quests. It's about learning new things, discovering new places, interacting with different races, you know, all of those different things. 
but fantasy tends towards more towards magic and science fiction tends more towards technology. But you do often see them grouped together. So if you go look on Amazon, it puts science fiction and fantasy together. It is the third. So it's, it's funny when we talk about sales, um, the top genre in sales is always romance. Always, always, always romance. Then you get mystery, thriller, suspense, which is one big grouping, and science fiction, fantasy, which is another big grouping. And those two take turns being second and third. Most of the time it's mystery and then science fiction and fantasy. But when a big name like a Brandon Sanderson releases a book, then that those sales can sometimes boost it up. So that now it's the second highest selling genre in a given year. So those two kind of swap off, but usually it's right around the third highest selling genre in any given year. So it, it's very, very popular. And it used to be a little bit more niche. It used to be a little bit more that that thing that that geeky people read. Mm-hmm. And and as a you know classic geek here, I was always very proud of it. And it's become a lot more popularized over the last several years. We've seen um, things like Game of Thrones on television, serialized. Uh, True Blood, which was the, um, oh, goodness gracious, I've just forgotten her name. Uh, Charlene Harris. It came yeah. back to me. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it, it was those stories and those are urban fantasies. The Vampire Diaries is urban fantasy. Supernatural is fantasy. And, and that's the thing is paranormal is grouped inside of fantasy and science fiction. And we've seen a lot of paranormal come up, um, even superheroes group of science fiction and fantasy so there's all your marvel movies so it's seen this huge huge expansion into popular media and kind of into the popular mind space and it makes me very very happy mm-hmm. and so, it can also make it hard to define sometimes because there is so much crossover uh so yeah uh, a lot of a lot of different elements at play and a lot of different expectations at play and so but of course they know how to do that right they know how to to make it work for their audience but um i think it's kind of important when it comes to fantasy to and, and we're going to go over different tropes and different subgenres in another video but you know really understand the sub niches before you go playing with them and mixing them okay <laughs> make sure you do that oh, yeah cuz cuz there's a lot of them um, and, you know, we were just saying paranormal and mm-hmm. in all of its various stripes from urban fantasy to kind of paranormal romance. Um, mm-hmm. But but even what we call rural fantasy or portal fantasy or, you know, all these different things, they all still fall under this big umbrella of fantasy. But they do have very specific expectations of what people want out of that genre. Um, next week, we're going to do some interviews with YA fantasy authors and talk about the YA aspect. And then at the end of the month, we're going to uh, interview Jay Barnson, who does amazing portal fantasy. And they're different. They, they have different expectations. But the thing it always comes back down to is we're still telling amazing stories about people. And, and sometimes your people may look like a dragon. Sometimes your people may look like, you know, whatever you're going to call people, that main character we're still telling these amazing stories about them accomplishing things and doing things about loving, about losing, about fighting and winning, sometimes about fighting and not winning. So we're still telling human stories. We're just putting all of this magical stuff around it, which is part of what makes it fun. All right. So we, we have a few questions we're going to go through here. We, we got a list of things that kind of help us to, to wrap our arms around fantasy, sort of. So we're going to talk about world building. World building is one of the things that makes fantasy really difficult to write. 
I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, because if I'm writing contemporary romance, I can lean on a lot of things that I can assume that my readers know. So if I say somebody is driving down the street and they stop at a traffic light, even in different cultures and in different areas of the world, there's some kind of an analog um, that, that you have streets, you can drive down them in some kind of a vehicle, and there's an analog for a traffic light, right? And I can get more specific, and the more specific I get, the better the contemporary is. So I can say I'm driving down the street in my GMC, in my white GMC terrain in Utah, and the mountains are on my one side. I, I can give all those extra details, but I don't have to just to get basic understanding. The world building with a magical realm changes all of that because you cannot make a lot of the same assumptions. Uh, you can say people can't fly. But in supernatural and in superhero and in a lot of straight up secondary world fantasy, all those kinds of things, people fly all the time. And so there's this world building that has to happen that explains what is acceptable in that world. How does it work? How do different races that are foreign to um, what we know work together? All those kinds of things. So CJ, what's some of the challenges that you've hit in world building for um, fantasy? I think as a as a newbie author within that, I didn't really understand um, the process of it until I started writing and getting into it. And then suddenly I was sitting there thinking to myself, well, are these reactions believable based on culture, based on hierarchy, based on based on social structures? Um, you know, and then I was having to go back and reimagine or or really decide, you know, what what was the political field like? Because that that was important because there there is royalty involved. So, you know, what is the monarchy all about? What are the rules behind that? What are the you know social norms? And I really had to sit there and think about it. And and because I I was so limited in my experience with that. I really had to go back and look at other fantasy books from a, a critical perspective, because as I was reading them, I wasn't just reading them to enjoy them. I was reading them to see what they had done and how they had decided things. And then that was like, okay, I need to start asking myself questions. If I can ask myself a question about this aspect of world building, then I can start thinking about it and deciding what, what is the rule? What is the norm? What, you know, and that's really important to story because it, 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 it really influences your content. It influences the plot and the structure. It influences the decisions that your characters are going to make. It influences the obstacles involved because usually within world building, you are finding certain things that, that either the magic won't allow you to do, the people won't allow you to do, different species that you're running into and, you know, uh, different mythical creatures. What kind of, you know, it, it just, what kind of conflicts can you run into? And then how are they solved according to the world that you have built? So when anyone says world building isn't that important in fantasy, I'm like, you have not read fantasy then. <laughs> because it is and it is really challenging um so for me i finally realized that i could not go into it without any ideas just hoping that it would i could not just be a discovery writer in the realm of fantasy some people can for me i could not i actually needed questions and writing prompts to jump start this process of figuring out how things were done and and why things were done that way and then okay now that i know all of these things and i put a character in it 
how does that then affect my story now with all of these other variables coming in and playing a part in that? Because the world around you, your environment, your belief systems, your cultural norms all influence your behaviors, your actions, your reactions. It just does. So you need to have that, I think, really laid out, at least some of it, as you start writing your book. Uh, so yeah, it can be challenging. What about you? I mean, you are a Dungeons and Dragons pro. So I feel like you've had a lot of experience and practice in that whole world of these are the rules, these are the magic systems. But what is your process, Jana? I really am an old school nerd. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I started playing D&D when I was 11. So it's been a long time that I've been playing role-playing games. And they really are a good introduction to the kind of world building that's very much expected when it comes to fantasy. Um, we want to understand why things are where they are. And, and one of the running gags in Dungeons & Dragons is going to a dungeon and finding all of these creatures that live there for your players to fight. And yet there's no logical reason why they would all be shoved in this dungeon <laughs> because you've got water creatures there with earth creatures. And then you've got a golem and then you've got a, this set and this like, why, why are they all here? And as gaming has become a little bit more sophisticated and there's been a lot more storytelling put to it, you're starting to see people that really build their dungeons with an idea of, well, why would these things be here? Did somebody else put them here? Which explains why you get this variety, but it also explains why you have to build a dungeon where they can't get to each other because they'd eat each other. They, they wouldn't be there for the players to fight because they would just flat out eat each other. And so that leads to really interesting story things that can happen there. Um, because there, there's things like, there was an orb of oblivion that if you fall into that, you're just, you're dead, game over, all that kind of stuff. That <laughs> somebody found and the reason that it was in the dungeon was because the goblins that lived there used it as a trash chute <gasps> oh. and the amount of story fun they were able to have with their players with trying to figure out what was down there and might there be treasure and and the whole time going don't jump down there because because if you do it's it's game over man but but there was a reason for it so there was a world building reason that says well these guys found this thing and they found that when you throw stuff in it it just disappears and the that's nice. Now it doesn't smell bad or anything. And so that's what they were using for their garbage chute. So you see that. And when the worlds are better built, it really helps to stack people in and keep them there. When I'm building up a world for a fantasy, I do a lot of research on cultures and um, ideas that have really happened. So in my Death's Night book, I have a, a culture that is all based on the Mongolian horse people. And I researched and researched and researched that I understood why do they live the way that they do? What kind of environment do they have to have? What kind of geology needs to be there? Geology, geography. There we go. Both of us start with G, not the same thing. Um, what kind of things did they eat and all that? And then I had to find where does that work in this world? And then now that I apply my magic to it and my, my um, system of um, deities, my, my, my systems of religion, how does that change them? And that's a lot of what you see is that we start with people that we can research. And then you say, now putting it into everything else that I've built up, how does that change them? How do they worship, given that this is an area that um, everybody worships the god of death? Well, how do they worship differently than the people in the cities? How do they connect to other things? You know, what do they think of, of moving around and how do they protect themselves against the undead that wander all the time? Mm 
and they have a completely different culture and setup than the people in the city who they fight the undead because they're back behind walls. And they're like, the, the undead can't get to us, so we're, we're just going to sit here on top of the walls and dump things down on it. And these guys had to come up with completely different magics that gave them their protection. And that's the kind of thing you have to think through is, why is this here? And how do the other rules of my world affect it? And everything interconnects. So I do a lot of research before I get started. And sometimes partway through, I have to stop and do some more research. Um, and definitely in this, so we, I think we've talked about this before, but it's a very common thing that's talked about in authoring circles. When you put things together, it's like a giant iceberg. What the reader sees, it's above water, is this big, right? But what you have to know in order to build this is underwater and it's this big, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. huge yeah. because you need to know it all as an author, but it may only affect one line here or one line there for the reader. But without those lines, then your world doesn't read true. It, it, it doesn't read like an actual place where things would actually happen. And we want that immersion because that immersion is what gives us a great satisfaction. So that ties to a next thing that I'm going to ask you. So how do you deal with magic systems? Because we've talked about we're exploring through magic. Is magic just hand wavium? How, how do we deal with magic systems? Well, with, with Matt, I learned early on that with a magic system, there were two, two things that I tried to adhere to because they were two things that bothered me if I was reading a fantasy book and, and it wasn't followed. One was limitations. My magic system needed to have limitations because uh, making it not have limitations meant that it was just easy to overcome obstacles and to solve the conflict. And if you're solving the conflict, the whole, you know, the getting to the end game of your book, um, halfway through your book, then you've, you've ruined your book. <laughs> so you don't want to do that, but also you need to have really structured rules because, and, and then, you know, half the battle sometimes is figuring it out how to navigate those rules and not break them. Uh, because the, again, with those restrictions, uh, then you have to get creative. And I promise you the payoff for the reader is so much better when yes, the magic is there, but you found this really, it's like a plot twist, just this amazing way to utilize the magic as you need to, even with its inherent flaws and with its uh, limitations, you know, that's clever and that's interesting, but you've got to lay the, the, the groundwork down. You've got to be able to lay those breadcrumbs there and you have to understand your magic system backwards and forwards, because if you forget a rule and then you've written some really epic scene where you've broken that rule, you either keep it and then backtrack and fix the rule and adjust, which is a heck of a lot of work, or you go delete the scene and it was a lesson learned and maybe sad. So those are the, yes, yes, that. What about you, Jenna? It, it happens. Mm -hmm. um, so magic systems, this is one of those things that we could do multiple, multiple episodes on. And mm -hmm. people have. Um, Brandon Sanderson is considered the master of magic systems. Uh, and he teaches whole classes on this. He's got Sanderson's rules of magic, which you ought to look up on the internet because they're really, really fun. And he has, you know, very specific, you know, um, the, the, magic has to have a cost and magic has to have this, that, and the other. But I love most the zeroth rule of, of uh, magic as far as Sanderson is concerned, which is that cool trumps everything else. <laughs> so sometimes, even though you have all that beautiful structure, you say, this is how it works. Sometimes you come up with an ideal that is just so awesome that you can't not do it. And at that point, you find a way because cool trumps everything. Mm 
Um, so, so I, I always loved that. And they often talk about magic systems being hard magic systems or soft magic systems. With hard magic systems, it is very, very, very structured. When you put an X, you get Y. This is and 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 it always works this way. Um, this is his Mistborn books where they are burning metals to get certain results. Well, it, it's always this way. That's the way it works. That's different than a much softer magic system, um, like in Lord of the Rings. What what are the restrictions on what Gandalf can do? Mm. They are whatever the story needs Gandalf to be able to do. I was do. just going to say, I don't recall any restrictions. <laughs> no, no, no. At, at some points, he casts a big old light. And at some points, he does this, that, and the other. It, it, it's all built around, from a plotting point of view, what does he need Gandalf able to do? And there's still rules that exist because Gandalf is the wizard. He can cast spells. Aragorn is not a wizard. He doesn't get to. So there's still rules there. But those rules revolve a lot more around who is allowed to cast spells, who has that knowledge um, and those abilities, and who doesn't, versus saying within the magic itself, what can Saruman do? We don't know. We don't know until he does it. Apparently, he can he can create orcs um, and, and those kinds of things. What can Kandalf do? He can arrive on the third day and, and save the day. You know, they, they have those things. So you'll find that most systems go, and, and again, it's a spectrum, like all things are. You'll have some that are very, very hard magic systems, some that are phenomenally squishy, and a lot of stuff that's in the middle where it has certain rules that you always adhere to, and then some stuff that you can fudge a little bit. Most of the time, readers don't mind, except they don't want, we talk about uh, deus ex machina, which is God from the machine, where in, in old plays, the gods would rise up and would save the day. We, we sometimes get a deus ex magina, and it's when magic just suddenly is it, the thing that's going to save the day. This magic that we never knew that we had before, la! Um, and, and that can be really annoying to some readers, especially if we don't have hints that it's coming. If we can see that it's coming, that this girl has been developing her power and developing her power, and she needs some push that's going to push her through to really open it up, well, then we expect that to happen in the climax. That magic is going to come through. But it's coming through because she's been working towards it, not because it's just a thing that, you know, and suddenly she can do blah. You know, we, we always have to foreshadow those so that though it makes sense. So that's really high level, lots and lots of magic systems are complex and cool, y'all. Um, and there's lots and lots of good classes out there that get into the specifics of, you know, I, I went to one at Superstars and, and he had a whole grid of and, and questions that you ask. And so it's like, if you if did you get this question, then move this way on the grid. If you answer this, then move up on the grid. If you answer this, then move over here. And and he helped you define, and I'll have to look it up and, and see if I can remember the presenter's name, but helped you to really define exactly where did your magic system fit on the scale of hard to soft and on all these other axes to, to say, this is the kind of magic that you're casting. And it was really kind of cool. And also, it's something, both world building and magic building, the one problem with them, well, there's others, but one of the biggest problems is when you get so involved in creating these things that you don't write the story. So this is another place where uh, perfect is the enemy of done. And at a certain point, you have to say, I have done everything that I'm going to do for now, and I must start writing. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that was perfect. Love it.
All right. So we've talked about magic. What about magical creatures and about all of the, the cool monsters and things like that? Are those required for a good fantasy book or are they just fun? Oh, in my in my humble opinion, and this is an opinion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I for me, yes, because I love this idea of I mean I love using what I know you know fairies I love I mean I love the legends I love the myths I love um I love this aspect of lore that I can really play with but I also love what is not known what is not lore what is something that just comes straight from an author's imagination creating creatures um, that then have rules that they follow and certain things about them and the way that they look and the way that they're described and how they play a role in this uh, book so for me when it comes to fantasy I want mythical creatures and races in there and if they're not in there then I feel like what's the point (laughs) So, so yes, for me, yes. I don't know. What do you think, Jenna? For the most part, yes. I, I have read some really amazing fantasy that didn't have, that, that it had the magic and it had kind of that secondary world feel to it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have creatures and, and it was still very, very good. But my favorites, I'm trying to think if there are any that don't have magical creatures at all. Because I, I can think of a lot where you know, kind of the the main characters that we're going through the the journey with might all be human, mm-hmm. um, or right. or elf or dwarf or, or some close version of human, but a lot of what they face might be magical creatures, harpies and griffins, and mm-hmm. there's so many different things to explore, either as antagonists or you know things they can make friends with, or who hasn't wanted to ride a dragon? Let's get real here. Oh, I mean, oh yes, absolutely. I think it would be, you know, when I think about it rationally, it would be cold and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and the wind would blow in your eyes. And that's why, you know, some of these books have gotten into, yes, and the dragon riders learn to wear goggles because it hurts <laughs> when your eyes tear. It's, it's like riding a motorcycle, but much higher and much faster. Um, and those are always fun to, to read for me is that what kind of adjustments do we really have to make if we want to ride on the back of dragons or griffins or any of these other things? But I love seeing that exploration uh, of things that are not common and uh, the way that that we can interact with them or not. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, I prefer it. Like I say, there's still some really great stuff out there that doesn't have it. They tend to lean a little bit more heavily into it. It's still a magical tale, but I do like my monsters. I'm, I'm fond of reading the, the, going back to the gaming, there's bestiaries. And sometimes when I'm looking for a good, something they're going to encounter, it's go flip through the bestiary until something jumps out at me. And I go, yes, for the environment they're going into, this is perfect. And it's going to rise from the deeps. And and it's going to be so much fun. All right. So we're, we're let's see, look at some of our questions here. So this is, this is actually kind of a fun one. There's a lot of fantasy stories, especially in what we call high fantasy or epic fantasy, that deal with these big quests or journeys as a central plot element. You brought up Lord of the Rings. It, it's the granddaddy of we, we, Frodo must take the ring to Mordor. It, it, he must go to the thing. Why do you think these are so compelling? Because there's lots of them and people don't seem to get tired of them, even though we all know they're going to start here and they're going to end here and ta-da. Mm-hmm. I think, I really think it has to do with this innate uh, human need to have goals and accomplish things. And when you are uh, looking at someone 
attempting to accomplish something difficult, scary, and you can do it in a way that's compelling, that's entertaining, that's moving, that teaches you really helpful lessons. It really, it, it imitates life. The hero's quest, I believe, imitates life so, so perfectly, uh, probably far better than any other plot structure that I've seen when it comes to just as we navigate this journey, because it is in essence all about that journey, all condensed into a book where you're, it's not just the end goal that is part of it. It is how this person is getting there. And so all of these elements of how this hero is coming to that end goal and, and achieving something just, you know, that, that will either save the world, which is epic, you know, or that will save a family member or, you know, for other various reasons, that journey there is so intricate and interesting because it's not just about that hero. It's about the, the people on that journey with that hero as well. There are a lot of elements to that. There is a lot of interplay when it comes to personal relationships. And there's a lot of emotional, mental, internal conflict involved that we all struggle with as humans. Um, and so it's relatable. It's us doubting ourselves, just like the hero might as he's continuing forward. It's us feeling a lot of imposter syndrome, just as our hero does. It's us finding ourselves in that process, just as this hero does, because most of these heroes are not heroes. It's not what they see in themselves. And it's them coming into their own. It's a huge, amazing character arc that is, is progress personified, I think. It's just beautiful. And so I think the reason why it is that is because it is our lives in, in, in a way. And the payoff is beautiful. And it's something that we can get in a book and escape to and feel inspired by and entertained. And it just, I don't know, that is a very satisfying journey to take. So I think, I think that's why. Yeah, pretty much. What do you think? Huzzah. Huzzah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only thing I'd add to that is that I think for a lot of us, um, adventure and growth and all those kinds of things doesn't happen within the walls of my comfortable home. Right. And and for most of these characters, when they're home and comfortable, when when you're working on the farm, when you're living in your hobbit hole, when you're doing those kinds of things, you're not growing. They're not changing. It takes being pushed out of home and where you are comfortable and you're well known and you control the environment and all that kind of thing in order to grow and to get better. And that can be, you know, both that physical journey. And then, like you say, it's also the emotional, mental journey of somebody saying, I can be more that, that, you know, Frodo does not want to go adventuring. Neither does Bilbo for that matter. Neither one of them is interested. You know, I, I think it's Bilbo who says adventures make one late for dinner. And, and, you know, and, and hobbits are very, very concerned about dinner. And, and so, no, no, we don't, we don't want to do that kind of thing. And yet going there and back again, going going out and doing these things, he becomes so much more than he would have been if he had just continued to spend another 50 years in his hobbit hole. And we kind of feel that way. And I think especially when we get into the day-to-day -day grind of, you know, we're taking the kids to school, we're working full-time jobs, you got to figure out what you're going to feed people, you have to figure that out three times a day, every day for the rest of their lives, you have to do laundry. A lot of this just feels like this repetitive grind, and it's comfortable, but it's a repetitive grind, and we're not exploring and, and being adventurous and doing these things, so it's a vicarious way to say, I'm, I'm going out and I'm doing things. I'm going on an adventure. 
So I, I, I think that's a lot of why we like to follow that. It's why we like portal fantasy where normal people cross over into extraordinary places because we all kind of want to imagine, well, if I went to the back of a wardrobe and it opened up into a magical world, what would I do there? What, what, what would that be like? And, and so these are very popular because it is a very good self-insert towards going on adventures. So the other thing that we often see in fantasy is fantasy can often be more black and white than other genres, um, especially you get into mystery and thriller and there's a whole lot of shades of gray and you have gray pe people and, and you know, your, your antiheroes and things like that. And there is a grim dark section of fantasy where, where things are very dark. But a lot of it does deal with this idea of, you know, right and wrong and dark lords and the people who defend them. Is this the same thing as what we talked about? Is this because we want to go on an adventure and conquer something? Or is this, what, why do you think this reflects so much that we always see this good versus evil? I think that it's this idea of, well, I mean, it's built into pretty much everything socially, uh, culturally. I really don't think that I've ever seen, whether it's religion or certain uh, cultural belief systems, um, anything that didn't touch on this idea of good versus evil. Um, and also just this inherent, you know, uh, th this idea that we could go one way or we could go another, you know, and what kind of choices do you make because of that? And so exploring that darker side, which I think everyone has, and that lighter side, which everyone has, it's just, it's that eternal conundrum, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> just everybody is struggling with the good in them and the bad in them and learning their way around that. And so to see that play out within fantasy, again, it goes back to what's relevant and relatable and, and you see that play out and you see the different ways in which it plays out. And that's some fascinating stuff. It really is. And there's so much, there's so much you can do with that. Okay. Um, and it's interesting when you feel like a certain character is skirting that line. You mentioned anti-heroes, you know, it's like, how far can you take it and push that envelope uh, and have that foot over that line of good versus evil? Um, and so you do see a lot of that in fantasy, I think more so, especially within dark fantasy. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Jana? Well, I think sometimes we like the simplicity of the idea that mm -hmm. there is truly good and truly evil and that in almost all these cases, not not always, there's a, you know, a, a, a subgenre for people who like to read things that end badly. Um, but but in most cases, good wins. And don't we want that in our lives? The, this idea that despite everything that you go through, all of the fights, all of the this, that and the other, the good guys, the white hats, the cowboys, the, you know, what, whatever they are, because really Westerns are just, you know, fantasy done with horses. Um, West, Westerns are just, it, it is really another version of fantasy, but it is that idea that the white hat is going to win in the end. They may go through terrible things, but good overcomes evil. And, and we really want that. We want to be able to say that good is going to win in the end. And so I think it's, it's, much simpler than sometimes looking at our lives and the people in them and the stuff that happens and everybody, well, shades of gray and it could be this and it could be that. And sometimes we just want to be able to say the good guy wins and, and, and we're the good guy and we want to win. So, so I think that resonates with readers to be able to say, here is a situation where they can look at it and they can go like, like romance, they're going to go through all these things. And in the end, they're going to be happy together. For a lot of fantasy, they're going to go through all these things. And in the end, good is going to overcome. 
and the world will be a better place for it. So I think that's a lot of, of why we love it so much. So anyway, and, and, and I do love it. We have so, we have lots of books here and a good part of our shelf is science fiction and fantasy and all of their various stripes because they are telling those stories that really speak to, to my family. And they're still telling again, very, very human stories. My daughter reads, she's been reading The Wings of Fire, 15 book series about dragons from the point of view from of the dragons, but they're so human. And so she reads them and she squeals with delight when two of them are, are starting to have all the feels for each other because it's so cute. And then there's the, you know, what happens when you have siblings and there's siblings that are, are wrestling with each other and doing the things that siblings do and sometimes being a jerk because that's siblings and yet they're dragons. And so it's, it's that it's mystical and it's fun and they can do all these things, but it's still stories about families and about found family and about, you know, people working together to do good things. And she just eats them up. So, you know, it appeals generation upon generation to pull all these things together. Okay, well, we've been going for about 40 minutes here. I'm thinking maybe we need to tie it up with a bow for the moment. There are so many more things that we could get into, guys, and that we totally will. But I think that we'll dig into it more as we start looking at our sub-niches, because then we can see how these reflect within a specific sub-niche. And that's always lots and lots of fun. All right, guys, so I think that's probably where we'll, we'll stop. We'll pick up some more. Um, next week, we are going to be interviewing Jody Milner. And that's going to be lots and lots of fun. And then we'll kind of go from there. So, CJ, any last words about fantasy before we move into our moments of irrelevancy? Just that if you are a newer author and you enjoy reading fantasy and you are unclear as to where you want to, you know, start when it comes to writing, uh, just start with fantasy. <laughs> that's start my there. thought. Just, start you there. know, and really start reading more books and really delve into what kind of fantasy you want to do. Okay. Cause I think that would be fun. And we want, you know, we're also readers of fantasy. So we want more amazing fantasy books out there so that we can read them. I, I remember spending lots and lots of hours sitting in the library, just sitting on the floor in the stacks because you can't help yourself. You, you pulled up a book, you made the mistake of starting to read, and now you're sitting in the stacks. And, and then the librarian comes over and goes, you have to leave now. And it's like, but I don't want to. I'm, I'm here. I'm in the world. You can take the book home. Oh, yeah, I, I can do that. Um, that might have happened once or twice in college where it was just just so there and I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to have to stop to get home to start again. I just, I just wanted to be left in my little fantasy world. So that's the power that this has. It really can just pull you in that way. All right, fantastic. So CJ, dearest CJ, what is irrelevant in your world today? So I, I thought that we would have a rest with, you know, it being summer and not being busy. And I can hear, I can hear other parents like chuckling in the background, kind of like, oh, you're silly. When did you think that summer would slow down? Uh, so JJ is now involved in basketball summer camps um, and also a summer league. And then he's doing weights in the morning and then he's doing volleyball. It's called volleyball vitamins, which is like wow. every morning they go practice. So that's been interesting and fun, uh, but also busy. And then my daughter's like, I want to do gymnastics. Let's get started. And she did a little a couple of years ago, but now we're back in gymnastics. And I'm like, ah, oh, I mean, it's great that they're busy. I don't want them just doing chores all the time. And then always on their, you know, 
devices, devices. but I'm like, <laughs> man, it is like mom, the chauffeur all over again, just driving people left and right everywhere. Um, and sometimes it happens where it's that same scenario where you're in the library and you just want to read your book. I'm on my couch and I finally get a moment to breathe and I want to read my book. And then I hear mom, I got to be here by, you know, seven. And I'm like, no, I no, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not ready. I know. I'm not ready. Let me finish this chapter. And they're like, no, we have, we actually have to be to things on time. And I'm like, just one more chapter. So that's uh, yeah, that's my uh, irrelevant moment. Summer's just as busy apparently this time. So yeah. Oh, wow. Busy, busy summer. Well, for me, we, we were talking a little bit about this before. So this week, my uncle's, my uncle's husband, no, 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 no. My husband's uncle passed away um, on Memorial Day on Monday. And it, it's one of those situations where it's a generation back and it's not, you know, directly his dad or anything. So we're sad, but we're not devastated. But it does mean we are very local and central to everything that's going on with the funeral arrangements. And so our house is becoming a staging area. So it's like I, I went and just bought a whole stack of hamburgers and lunch meat and brats and all these things that are easy to whip up en masse and feed whoever comes through. We have family coming to stay in our guest room, all these kinds of things. And I was talking to my daughter to tell her, well, these are the things that we need to do. And we're doing a viewing tonight. And, and she stopped and she went, she's 10. What's a viewing? What, what do you do with a viewing? It's like, well, you, you go hang out with the family in your best church clothes and people look at the dead body. And she went, what? Why? Why, why do they want to look at the dead thing? I, I don't understand. And I was with her. I don't entirely understand this tradition of I, I get the get the gathering. The family's all in town before they do the funeral. They they want to have some time together. I, I get that part. And, and even celebrating the person, have, have a list of awards they've won in their lives and pictures and all that kind of stuff. I get that, that too. But why the corpse must be there? That part I don't get because it's always creepy. And that was my daughter's thing. She's like, that, that's creepy. That's like Halloween stuff. And she's not wrong. So I have told her that the things that I want when it is my turn, first of all, I, I don't want my corpse coming to the viewing. You, you may have a viewing, but in that case, have a nice picture of me, hang things that I, you know, stuff that I love on the wall, piles of yarn, you know, whatever. All my books, stack of giant books. You can, you can make a funeral pyre out of those. Um, all those things, have people come together, have them talk, have them eat, fine. And the next day, I don't want a funeral either. I want to wake. I want, I, I want you to listen to loud music and eat all of my favorite things and tell lies about how wonderful I was. That that's what I want. And I'm, I'm going to put it in my will because I, I don't want it just a big, sappy, sad, all the crying kind of thing. I want it to be a joyous reflection on life. And, and this actually ties into the fantasy thing, because that's that's something that you see in a lot of those as you look at the different cultures is how do you deal with death? And we were reading Lord of the Rings last night and that for Boromir's funeral, it was singing and it was putting him into the boat and letting it carry him out. And never again was he seen. So we don't know what happened after that. Boromir just just off into the off into the other lands, and there, there's lots of interesting ideas for you know how how do you conduct saying goodbye. So that's my thing. I'm going to go to the very traditional viewing. If she comes with me, she is not required to look at the dead body. 
She was very, very concerned that I might march her over there and force her to look at a dead person. She just doesn't want to do that. I'm like, I don't want to do that either. We, we will not be looking at the dead body. We're good. But that's my moment of irrelevancy. The interesting ponderations on death and on culture and funeral traditions this week. Because we don't want to go see the dead body. We want to see our family, but we really, really, really don't want to see a corpse. So there you have it. Totally irrelevant. I like it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You can find the show in the show notes at www.elantumdigital.com and follow the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast distributor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. We'll see y'all later. Bye-bye now. Bye, guys.